when, when I got saved, I got saved at a little church called Holiday Hills Baptist Church in Abilene, Texas. And uh, yeah, Abilene, Texas. Some of y'all don't even didn't even know that was a place on the map. <laughs> and uh, going to church because I'm just trying to show this young lady who I was interested in. I don't have no problem with church. <laughs> now up until then, Ken didn't go to nobody's church. You couldn't you couldn't give me money and make me go to church. But y'all brothers in the room know how I go. You meet this young lady, you're interested, and so you turn your game on, right? So part of the game was, I ain't got no problem with church. I'm going to roll up in here, get my praise on, you know what I mean? She going to see it and fall in love. That's how that's going to go down. Uh, it kind of went down like that. But what I ended up doing was falling in love with Jesus. Amen. And the, that church would sing old hymns. And the thing that I grew to learn about the older saints, because uh, if enough of y'all have talked to me, y'all know I think church is fancy now. Right? We've gotten real fancy. And everything we do, it's a production. You know? <laughs> everything we do, it's, it, it has to have style. You have to get style points for it or whatever. Oh, the <laughs> back them old saints, we didn't have all these guitars, and which I don't have an issue with them because I love instruments, I love music, don't get me wrong. But we ain't had these elaborate setups. And sometimes if the power went out, because we didn't cancel church for nothing. It wasn't no summers off. <laughs> I got up north and found out y'all canceled Bible study in the summer. I ain't know what that was. Down south, you having Bible, and I don't care if fire rained down from the sky, them folks is showing up to church. And sometimes we'd have issues with the little bit of stuff we had instrumentally, and them folks would hit that flow. And they sing praises unto their God on Wednesday nights. We would just be sitting, just like y'all sitting now. We just come in and sit down, and it'd be total silence. And somebody, some sister or some deacon would just strike up a song, right? I wish I could sing because I do one, but I'm not going to do y'all like that this morning. And then right as that song was tailing off, somebody would lift up a word of prayer. And as soon as that person said amen, somebody struck up another hymn. And when that hymn tailed off, somebody would strike up a word of prayer. And that would go on and on for a good hour, 15 minutes, hour and a half. And then the pastor would get up and teach Bible study. I miss that stuff. But I also miss the drive that the older saints had to be about the business of the kingdom. See, we've kind of... Something happened, and if you've been at church for a while, you know what I'm talking about. Something happened. Uh, there, this transition uh, took place from we had to do ministry. We had to be out in the community. We had this gospel. We had to go tell somebody about it. We would be out in the street at the grocery store, and, and them old saints would tell you, baby, you better get right. To now we're in this era of convenience. Well, if doing good fits my schedule, I'll go do it. If living out what Jesus tells us to do works within my Outlook calendar, if I can find a place to put it, then I'll go do it. 
the priorities kind of shifted. And, and that's what, when Dexter surprised me and told me I had to preach, <laughs> that's what would not stop laying on my heart. And so God led me to Matthew 25, and that's where we're going to be today. I have a challenge for you guys today. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I have a challenge for us today, and this has been vetted and talked to with Dexter Harris and uh, Pastor Dexter Harris, and, and he gave me the thumbs up and the green light, so I'm good to go. The name, the, the, the title I want to tag on this text is Let's Do It. In 2018, this, I'm not saying this is a theme or anything like that. It's just our challenge to let's do it. And you'll see what I mean in a minute. Matthew 25, I'm not sure exactly what's going to be up there. So Matthew 25, we're going to read verses uh, 31 through 40. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. If you have them on your phone, open the app and uh, go there. Y'all feeling good this morning? All right. Now, I'm not going to do uh, what my brother did last year and tell y'all how long the sermon going to be because I might miss it. But I promise you, you'll be out of here before one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I got an appointment at one, so we got to. <laughs> All right. Matthew 25, 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them truly. I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Look at your neighbor and say, let's do it. So when we come to our text, Jesus is in the Mount of Olives, and his disciples have come to him privately, and, and they got some questions because Jesus said something that kind of blew their mind, you know, kind of uh, piqued their interest and, and created curiosity. In Matthew 24 and 1, it says that Jesus left the temple, and he, he had been teaching, and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you, you see all of these, do you not? 
Truly, I say to you, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So this is kind of mind-blowing. They, they, they tripping a little bit, if I can say that. And so when they get to the Mount of Olives, they like, yo, Jesus, like, so this stuff that you're talking about, when is this going to happen? And so in this Olivet Discourse is what we call it, Jesus begins to teach them about the signs of the end of the age. And then he teaches them about something called the abomination of desolation. He teaches them about the coming of the Son of Man. He gives them a lesson about the fig tree. And then he starts telling them that no man knows the day nor the hour. And then he transitions into teaching by parables and he teaches what some say are three parables but i in matthew 25 but i say it's two parables and a sneak preview the first parable and and and, and all of these parables are really about what the believer what the christian what the saved person should be about while we await his return so in the first parable is the parable of the ten virgins and you know that parable is the ten virgins and the oil and the bridegroom is coming and some are ready and some aren't and that parable is telling the believer that you should be prepared for his return the next parable is the parable of the ten talents and he talks about um the, 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 this master, he distributed these talents and, and some uh, of his stewards went and some of his managers, some of the servants that he gave the talents to, they went and they gained more with their talents. But then there was one who did nothing. And so the two are called good and faithful servants. And so that parable teaches us that while we await the return of Christ, we ought to be good stewards of the resources and gifts that he's given us. So that, and, and you know what, in church we love to say that one day when I get there, he's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Well, if you ain't done nothing with what he gave you, you might not hear that. My first pastor would say, it's going to be some surprises when you get to heaven. One, if you make it, you're going to be surprised you got there. And some folks are going to be surprised they ain't making it in. Amen. I don't want that other surprise. So when we turn to our text, Jesus is now, and this is Ken talking, giving us a sneak preview about the coming or what's going to go down when the son of man comes it says when the son of man comes in glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats Sheep on what side? There you go. I like that quick answer. But the and the goats on the amen. The first thing that the text is tailored to teach us, or the first thing that this sneak preview shows us, is the majesty of the Messiah. Look at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious 
throne, the majesty of the Messiah. So, and now some of, some of us been in church a long time, and I see some young people in the room, and, and, and maybe you're asking yourself the question, what does it mean when Jesus refers to himself or when the Bible refers to Jesus as the Son of Man? Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man 88 times in the New Testament, and it has a dual meaning. The first meaning of the phrase Son of Man is as a reference to the prophecy of Daniel 7, 13 through 14. It reads like this. In my vision at night I looked, and before me was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Listen to this. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The second meaning of the phrase son of man is that Jesus was truly a human being. God called the prophet Ezekiel son of man 93 times. God was simply calling Ezekiel a human being. A son of man is a man. Jesus was fully God. Y'all remember what John 1 and 1 says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But he was also a human being. First John 1 John 1.14 says, And the Word became and dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, you deep theologians in the audience call that the hypostatic union. Jesus was fully God and fully man. John 4 and 2 tells us that this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Yes, Jesus was the son of God. He was in his essence God. Yes, Jesus was also the son of man. He was in his essence a human being. The description, Son of Man, was a messianic title. Jesus is the one who was given dominion and glory and the kingdom. When Jesus used this phrase, he was assigning the Son of Man prophecy to himself. He was proclaiming himself as the Messiah. He is the Son of Man. And he comes with this angelic escort in verse 31. But here's the really cool thing. The Bible says he sits on his glorious throne. Now the word glory means splendor. So he, he, he sat in splendor. It means a most exalted state. So he sits as the exalted king. But it also means judgment. So Jesus Christ, the son of man, sits as both king and and judge in the text, both king and judge. And so this is why we see him separating the sheep from the goat because it's judgment time. 
The text says, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to them on his right, pause right there. In ancient times, it was not strange for sheep and goats to be mingled together in the same herd or flock. A flock could be all sheep, it could be all goats, or it could be both. But there always came a time at the end of the day where the shepherd had to separate the sheep from the goats because sheep and goats didn't do things the same way. And we're going to get to that a little bit later, but one of the things that I found in my study is one of the main reasons why sheep and goats had to be separated was because of the way they ate. It was because of the way they grazed and what they grazed on. Now, I shouldn't even have to start giving y'all any comparisons to the real world because there are some among us that are sheep, and there are some among us that are goats, and we got to figure out which one we are. Because the diet of a sheep was grass. Goats ate anything. And, and, and sheep kind of grazed where they were at. Goats be eating here, eating there. Wait, what's over there? Eating here, eating there. They didn't discriminate in their diet. And some of us are taking in everything the world. I've seen so many Christians that I know personally who just a couple years ago, we were all sitting in rooms talking about the glorious gospel and God and chopping up doctrine and, and, and looking at the word of God as, the, as being inerrant and infallible. And now, every time I see them pay something on, uh, post something on Facebook, they're talking about what the universe is doing for them. Just eating anything. Every time a new wind of doctrine, every time something new comes along, they attach themselves to that. They latch on to that, and they start eating that. Well, the sheep, the, the true believers, those of us who are really sold out and settled in this glorious gospel and, and who love the grace of God, we only eat one thing. The inerrant, infallible word of God. This is it. This is the only diet. This is the only source. So the text transitions from giving us uh, or telling us about the majesty of the Messiah to breaking down for us the marks of a sheep. Marks are things that characterize or identify something or someone. In verses 32 and 33, we see Jesus divide the nations up, not by ethnicity or ethnos, which is the word translated nation in the text, but by categories. Some he calls sheep, the others he calls goats. But he does more than uh, categorize them, he characterizes them. The word characterize means to note the features that distinguish one from the other. Now, if you do a little bit of homework on sheep and goats, you find out that goats are pushy, self-sufficient, and headstrong. Sheep are gentle, quiet, and easily led. Goats are 
independent. Sheeps are, sheep are dependent. Goats like to rear and butt in order to establish their own dominance. But sheep just be chilling. Goats will easily revert back to their wild conditions as soon as they are given a chance. Sheep just be chilling. Goats are lone rangers and sheep love hanging out with the flock. And if I could pause here parenthetically, I want to ask each and every one of us a question. When the great shepherd is trying to lead you and I, are we more goat-like or are we more sheep-like? When Jesus, when by his spirit is trying to lead us, are we pushy, self-sufficient, and we will choose our own way over his way? Or can the spirit easily lead us? When Jesus is trying to lead us, are we independent DYIers? Y'all know what that means, right? Do it yourself. You ever, you ever, you may not have said this like openly to God, but has your attitude ever been, God, don't trip, I got this. I handle this myself. Or are we utterly dependent and realize that we can't do anything apart from God? Are we goat-like and act out in order to establish our own feeling of dominance in the world? Or are we strong in the Lord and the power of his might? Do we easily revert back to our old ways as soon as we get a chance? Y'all know, I know a person, I'm not going to say their name. Boy, they just can't wait to cuss. I, I, I personally believe they just be waiting on the moment. They just want something to go wrong just because they've been holding that cuss in for so long. <laughs> they just got to get it out. Or, or some of us with our tempers, we'll say, now don't make me act like the person I was before I got saved. <laughs> like think of the statement, right? Or, I, or, or here's one, I ain't been saved all my life. It, it's, it's waiting on an opportunity to revert back to our old ways when the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Everything is supposed to become new. Or are we long rangers who leave as soon as church ends and don't connect with any of our brothers and sisters as we bolt toward the door? Or like sheep, do we like hanging out with the flock, kicking it with the congregation, shooting the breeze with the saints, and chilling with the chosen? Look at your neighbor and ask, are you sheep-like or goat-like? Now tell them the answer. No, I'm just kidding. In verse 34, Jesus gives us marks of the sheep. The text is very specific about the sheep. The first thing I want you to note is their position. They're on the right side. It says, then the king will say to those on his right side, on his right. And if you know uh, anything about the Bible or you study, you know that it is significant. It is important. The, the right side is a place of honor. 
to be on the right side of the king, and, and I'm talking about positioned at the right side of the king, was to be positioned in a place of honor. To be on the right side of God, the Bible says, is to be in a position of honor. To be on the right hand and a right side, or especially the right hand, is also a place of salvation, refuge, and protection. The Psalm 16 and 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. So the sheep are in a place of salvation, refuge, and protection. They're in a place of honor. They're in a favored position. I like this one right here. To be at the right hand was a favored position for the bride of a king. I'm going to say it again because I don't think somebody made the connection. It is the favored position for the bride of a king. Okay, let me, let me, let me, no, no, clap. Let me, let me, let me hit rewind. <laughs> Jesus is sitting on the throne as judge and what? The church is the what of Christ. The sheep are in a position where the bride of the king stands. So in Christ, listen, if we're on the right side, that lets us know we're in the right place. Right? We are the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. King Jesus is the bridegroom, and we are the bride. And as sheep, we are positioned at his right hand. I'll go home and shout about it myself. <laughs> the right hand of Jesus is a privileged place granted only by the Father. Matthew 20, he tells um, the disciples' mom to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but is for those to whom it has been prepared for my father. And our text shows us that the right hand of Jesus is the place of the righteous at the judgment. There was an old song, and it asked the question, where do you stand? Whose on the Lord's side. And then the response or the answer was, I'm on the Lord's side. And when judgment comes, I'm going to tell you where I want to be, on the right side. The text is tailored to teach us in verse 34 that we who are the sheep of his pasture, who are the bride of Christ, have been privileged to be in a position of favor with God. Paul says it this way in Romans 5, 2. We have access by faith unto the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. God's grace is God's unmerited favor that he has given us by faith and is based on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. Well, maybe if, if you didn't get excited about your position... Maybe you'll get excited about the fact that the sheep are not only in the right position, but they are invited. The word come, if we just stop right there, is, 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 is an emphatic word. It's, it's not just, you know, you, you can just my hey, come here real quick. But if you're a parent, have you ever um, needed your child or wanted your child? And you said, come here. Come here. Like I'll say, Jack. Come here. 
It's this excitement. It's this invitation. It's this, I want you beside me. And the sheep, the flock of God, God desires for you to be in fellowship with him. So it's not a casual, hey, if you ain't doing nothing else, you can you come over here? It's a come, come here now. I want you beside me. Well, maybe if you're not excited about your position or the fact that you are invited, and might I add, welcomed by God. Ima anybody in here, if somebody got beef with you and you don't, I'll put it this way, married folks, right? You ever been in trouble <laughs> with your spouse and they don't want you nowhere around them? And then something happens Right? Forgiveness overcomes their, overwhelms their heart. Or, 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 or the Lord says, now come on, you need to stop tripping. And suddenly they want you back in their presence. And they, I'm, now I get in trouble a lot. <laughs> so, so, so I'm going to tell you, when Nicole welcomes me back, there's great joy in the Barry household. But again, not that excited. Well, maybe you'll get excited about this because we uh, all love this world. It says, come, those of you who are blessed by my father. Now, blessed and the right hand kind of go together because the word blessed means to be favored of God. So the sheep are in a favorable place. Now, you can be in a favorable place, but not favored by the person who lets you stand in the place. I've been there, too. Anybody ever had a job? And it was a good job, but they ain't like you. Good job, but the boss couldn't stand you, but they couldn't fire you either. Right? And you really had, you ever had a boss, I was talking to a brother last night, said he got a boss that's looking over his shoulder the whole time he at work. And every now and then he said the boss just come bump into him for no reason. So he's in a favorable place because he told me the insurance on that job is great. But he's not favored. As a believer, as a, one of the, the sheep in God's flock, not only are we in a favored position, but we're welcome and favored by God. Now, here's the piece I had a little bit of trouble with because I'm trying to wrap my mind around God celebrating us. But that word blessed also means celebrated. Come those celebrated by the Father. And the only thing that I could think of was the Bible says that there is joy in heaven when one sinner repents. The Bible tells us that a celebration takes place when we come to know the Lord, when we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by faith, we walk this walk. God celebrates. Not excited about the position. <laughs> Not excited about being invited. Not even excited about being blessed. Maybe this one will get you, and this is the last one I got. Because <laughs> I got to move on to another verse. Because I'm trying to get y'all out of here for two. <laughs> you are in a favorite position. You are invited by God. You blessed by God. You ain't excited about it. But maybe this one will get you. You are his heirs. Oh, y'all, y'all just want something. <laughs> it says, 
that they will inherit the kingdom prepared for them before the foundation of the world. Man, like I'm telling you, this is what gets me hypest of all. Now, in, in the old church I told y'all about, they looked forward to going to heaven. Like that was like a real thing. And they were like, whoa, <laughs> right? It's Charlie Caesar had a song, heaven, heaven, I'm going there. The old folks say, one of these mornings, and it won't be long. You're going to look for me, and I'm going to be gone. I'm going up to heaven where I'm going to sing and shout, and ain't nobody going to be able to put me out. They were excited. We like, whatever. We don't even sing about heaven no more. Y'all notice that? But here's what John 14, 1 and 2 says. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. King James would say, many what? Yeah, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Man, we going to get to like legitimately kick it with Jesus. If LeBron James walked in here right now and said, hey, I'm up about 20 of y'all. I'm going to take y'all. We're going to go somewhere. Y'all will be, oh, my God, I got to go. I say, Jesus coming to get you. Nah, it ain't just the young kids. It's some, old, it's some men in here knock you down. And come back and say, you know, sister, if I offended you <laughs> by pushing you to the floor <laughs> violently, <laughs> I'll Please forgive me. Anyway, I'm sorry, y'all. So we see the majesty of the Messiah. <laughs> we see um, the, 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 the marks of the sheep. But then we also see, and I'm almost done, y'all, for real, the ministry of the sheep. Now, here's where, as my first pastor would say, the rubber meets the road, because remember, these teachings are about what the believer, what the individual who has sheep-like qualities, who, who, now, 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 don't get, let me say this before I start, the stuff that we're about to learn and teach now are not the things that save you. They're the things you do because you're saved. These things don't result in salvation. They are the result of salvation. Paul says, I will show you my faith by my works. Dexter and I always wrestle with this because my contention is, God, unfortunately, in, in the church world, we have these things that are really deep, beautiful truths, but they become buzzwords. After a while, it don't mean nothing anymore. For a while, it, for a while, it was everywhere you went, discipleship, discipleship, make disciples, discipleship, make disciples, discipleship, make disciples, discipleship. And when we started the conversation, we really meant it. We really wanted to do it, but then it just became the cool, deep thing to say when you was in a spiritual conversation. Yeah, man, so you know this thing all about making disciples, man. And then you looked at an individual's life, and they ain't, wasn't making one. Wasn't even, in some cases, wasn't even trying to be one themselves. 
the gospel, I fear, is becoming a buzzword. It's just what you say nowadays. Because now it's gospel-centered everything. Yes, we, we need to tie our shoes with gospel-centered shoestrings. We, 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 need to do, we, need, we need to do gospel-centered choir music. We need to do gospel-centered. It's just a buzzword. It's the cool thing you say because when other Christians hear it, they think you deep. Oh, that brother got it. Yeah, he said gospel 15 times. So, so <laughs> he has it. It's become a buzzword. So <laughs> Dexter and I sit in the office and we wrestle with what does it look like? When a life has truly been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to contend that this ain't the whole picture. But this is a little glimpse at some of the stuff that ought to be happening because you saved. Old church folk thought that me getting saved meant I wasn't saved just so Ken could go to heaven, but I was saved because I had a work to do for the master. And I want to tell each and every one of you, you've got a work to do for the master. When Jesus saved you, he saved you so somebody else could get saved. He saved you to send you. The ministry of the sheep. Let's get through this thing because y'all want to go home. It's New Year's Eve. In Hebrew life, the flocks of sheep had many uses. They were a source, and, and don't miss this, and tie it to the text when I tell you. They were a source of meat. They were a source of milk. And they were wool for garments. They were a source of meat, a source of milk, and a source of wool. I said four, that was only three. Now watch what the text says. Stay, stay focused, y'all. Watch what the text says. The text says in verse 35, I was hungry and you gave me food. Sheep are a source of meat, milk, and wool. It says I was a stranger, you, you welcomed me. It says that I was naked and you milk, meat, and wool. Sheep had a ministry in ancient times. And if you are truly the sheep of his pasture, you also have a ministry. There's some stuff you should be doing. Stay focused. Matthew 25, 35 says, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. This word gave here means of, one, of, of one's own accord to give someone something to their advantage. In other words, you give of your own accord. Nobody makes you. Nobody stands up and says, listen, we're going to take an offering. We've got 100 bucks I need you to send over there. <laughs> it's going to be the $200 line. If you ain't got no money, get out. <laughs> Nobody forces you. Nobody 
prompts you because of the love of Jesus Christ that dwells in you of your own accord. You say, I want to give for someone else's benefit. You give of yourself. You sacrifice your stuff. And some of us are really good at that one. Right? We're really good at giving. The rest of the text is going to challenge us to do more than give our money. Because a lot of times we like to throw money at it. And, and you should keep throwing your money at it. Don't get me wrong. You should still give it. But you can't just give your money. At some point you got to say, I need to give me. It says, you, I was hungry. You, you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. Then it says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Now, a stranger is a foreigner, an alien, someone without a share in, new, unheard of. Now, all of that's good, but I, when, I hit, when I saw that unheard of, you know, we kind of like celebrities. We like people with names and titles. There are folks right here in this church, I'm going to admit, and I'm going to put it on me, I don't even know them. But the Bible says, you welcome the unknown. You welcome the person who didn't look like you. You welcome the person who wasn't from where you were from. You welcome the person who nobody even knows of. Can, can I say it like this? You welcome the nobody. And we're so hungry to attach ourselves to people and to name drop that we overlook all of these people who really need the love of Jesus Christ because we're always making a beeline for the people who got the titles or the popularity, or the fame. But the text says that when I was a stranger, a nobody, you said, come in. It says you took me in. So here you have this stranger, this person you don't know about, this person who has no vested interest in our situation and what we got going on, this, this person that the definition calls really the unheard of or the nobody, and you took, the Bible says, you took me in. That means to lead oneself into one's home, to receive hospitably, to entertain. Here's what it means. You came and got me and said, come to my house. You came and got me and said, you're welcome here. You came and got me and said, where I live, you can be there. And I had to ask my own self the question, when was the last time I flung the doors of my home open to somebody I didn't know? Because some of y'all in here know me. I don't like everybody over my house. That's the only place I got some peace. But then when I read this text again, God said, now, uh, tell me how you feel again. And I said, yeah, I changed my mind, Lord. I changed my mind. I'm going to have to do better in 2018. But not only that, in verse 36, it says, I was naked and you clothed me. Now, naked means exactly what you think it means. <laughs> All right? Unclad, without clothing, a naked body, uh, insufficiently dressed, clad in undergarments only. I got a joke right there, but I can't tell it. Clad in undergarments only. That's, that's the, the literal or the proper definition. Metaphorically, it means naked, open, laid bare. Mere grain, check this out, not the plant itself. 
Naked means to be destitute of resources. I got grain, but no plant. I got seeds, no food coming out the ground. I'm destitute of resources. I don't have all of the things that I need to make it. And it says I was naked and you clothed me. And the text says that means you threw yourself around me. That could be a garment or that could be you. And when was the last time we threw ourselves around somebody? Especially somebody we didn't know. And so the text says that the sheep of God's pasture are the type of people who, when they see people who lack resources, sufficient resources, we get together and we gather and we throw ourselves around one another. I'm running out of time, but I got to tell this story. There's a young man in a City Life Center program, and long story short, his daddy is a stone-cold killer. Him and the brother move out because they don't want to be a part of that. They're trying to get their life together. They want to get their education and all of that. And I don't say this to brag, but I say this because it's a, a, a good um, explanation. I reach out to the brothers of the church because I found out these guys, the apartment that they live in, they got zero furniture. Their clothes are in garbage bags. They got raggedy beds and no living room furniture. And so I reached out to the brothers and I said, listen, here's a young man and his brother trying to get their life together. What can we do? And to date, these brothers have gathered $1,000 so we can go throw ourselves around these brothers and bless them because they are destitute of resources. And that's the type of people we have to be. All right, let me move on. It says that I was sick and you visited me. Sick means to be weak, needy, poor, feeble, without strength and powerless. Now, we don't like to talk about this kind of stuff in church, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. And if they tell me I'm done, that's fine. We have been called to minister to the disenfranchised and powerless. We have called to be, called to be a voice to the voiceless and cry out for justice to those who are being treated unjustly. I know we don't like talking about that stuff in church, but the church has been called to tackle social justice issues. Listen to what Isaiah 117 says. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fathers. Plead the widow's cause. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9 says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Jeremiah 22, 3 says, thus saith the Lord. Not Ken, not Dex. Thus, thus saith the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Whether you like it or not, church, we have been called to open our mouths and fight the cause of injustice. It says, I was sick, and you visited me. Now, the word visited means to look upon or look after, to inspect, to examine with the eyes in order to see how a person is. When was the last time you actually saw the plight of people? When was the last time you didn't look and just say, oh, that's too bad? But you examined it. You wanted to know why is this person in the situation that they're in. Because the only way to know what to do is to know what they're going through. A lot of times we show up and <laughs> I'm getting 
in so much trouble. A lot of times as the church, we show up and we already think we know the answer. We know what these people need. No, you don't if you ain't asked them what they need. If you have not taken the time to get to know their story. I'm going to get myself in trouble. So many people come to this city and they got all the answers. I've heard people describe Gary, Indiana as the most detestable place on planet Earth, as the most evil place on planet Earth, the, the place where there's the most need. And I said, have you ever stopped in Gary, Indiana? Have you taken the time in the grocery store just to stop somebody and say, tell me your story? Have we, have we gone to city council meetings? Have we gone to rub shoulders with these nobodies? Have we gone to find out what this city really is about? Because I'm going to tell you, baby, I'm from Chicago. I like Gary better. I love this city. Because I found out that some of the most beautiful people you will ever meet live in the city of Gary, Indiana. People who love their city. I know what it looks like, but that's just an a, 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 a aesthetics problem. But these people love their city. We got to stop calling this place the worst place on planet Earth because it's not. And then if you are called to it, what you ought to be seeing is the beauty of the city. You ought to have a vision for the city. You ought to know that God called Bethel Church here to be at work with him as he changes lives in this city. I was in prison and you came to see about me. You came to me. Prison is a place where people are held captive. And there are physical prisons. We have members of our church who go and visit jails on a regular basis. But people are not just in physical prisons. Some people have been hurt so bad in life that they are in emotional prisons. Some people uh, 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 in the body of Christ suffer with depression and, and mental health issues. They're, they're captive. They're in prison. And others have social issues. They're in social prisons. And, and this is stuff we don't think about, right? But the Bible says that when I was in prison, you showed up. We got to start coming alongside people, listening to their stories, and just being there for them. It says, you came to me. Now, I promise, I'm almost done. It says, you, you, I was in prison. You came to me. I was in prison. You came to me. It literally means to come from one place to another. It means arriving and returning. It means to make an appearance. Y'all missing it. It means to come before the public. It means to become known. In other words, you didn't mail it in from where you live. You got up, put on some clothes, got in your car, drove somewhere, and went to see about somebody. We got cars, and we praise God, thank you for our car, and we ain't drove nobody nowhere in it yet. We got these beautiful warm houses and refrigerators full of food, and we ain't fed nobody yet. 
We ain't took nobody a meal. Sunday is not enough. Thank God you're all here on a Sunday. And I know Dexter preaching at Crown Point, so we got a contingency that we're there, and I say praise the Lord for that. But I'm glad that all over America, people are gathered in the sanctuary on Sunday morning. But that ain't enough. When we read this text, that ain't happening in, in, in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. This is another day of the week that you decided I'm going to feed somebody. I'm going to go see about somebody. I'm going to go give somebody something to drink. I'm going to give me. The ministry of the sheep. Y'all, we ain't. Sunday morning worship is great, but the call is bigger. Notice he didn't say you went to church on Sunday. Hungry, you fed me. Thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Naked, you clothed me. Stranger, you welcomed me. Sick and in prison, you came to see about me. This was action. This was doing stuff. Finally, we see, as I close, the meaning to the master. 37 says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it, to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. The ministry of the sheep meant something to the master. When we bless the poor, poor we bless the Lord himself. One of my favorite verses in uh, the Bible is Proverbs 19, 17. It says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. It says, whoever is gracious and shows favor to the one who is low attends to the Lord, and the Lord will reward him for what he's done. Verse 40, and the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. And I know there's some theologians in the room, and you say, well, the text says, Jesus says, my brothers. So his emphasis is on what we extend as mercies to those who are believers and to those who are already disciples of Christ. And honestly, I don't even have an argument for that. But here's what I do have, and that's an admonition. If that is indeed the case, in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus tells us to go make disciples of all nations. In essence, he commands us to go make new brothers and sisters in the faith. He says, go add to the family. Go beget more sheep. Go tell somebody about what God did through Jesus Christ so that they can become a member of the family of God. Go let them know that they no longer have to be strangers and foreigners or enemies of God because God wants to adopt them as sons and daughters. Have you ever paid attention that the first two letters in the word gospel are G-O? Go make disciples. So here's the challenge, and I'm really done. 
In an old church in the south, above the outside entrance, when you walked into the church, it said, come in. It was a sign. It said, come in to worship. On the opposite side of that same door, when you were going out to go home, it said, go out to serve. Come in to worship. Go out to serve. So here I have the 2018 challenge. The 2018 challenge is once a week, we gather for about 90 minutes, and I got two minutes to hit that 90 minutes <laughs> for worship. What I want to do is challenge you to find 90 minutes every week to serve. Or for 20 weeks out of the year, it's not even 52, 20 weeks out of the year, find because here's the other piece. Remember, we don't hang out. The flock, like the, the sheep like to hang out with the flock. Some of y'all, when we leave, when, when, when I say amen or whatever happens, let y'all pew. Right? I mean, wind be going by. Y'all be out of here so fast. 20 weeks out of this year, take 18 minutes and just hang out at the church. 20 weeks. Just 20. Find 18 minutes to hang out with somebody at the church. Don't run out of here. Hang out with the flock. The other piece is find, uh, commit 2,018 minutes to service this year. Now, here's how that breaks down. That's 22 weeks of serving 90 minutes. We have a ministry called Awana. You don't have to teach the kids. Sometimes just you being there is enough. And if my math is right, we only do it 22 times a year. CLC has an after-school program. Serve 90 minutes in that. Volunteers of Journal Truth, 90 minutes, 20, uh, for, for 90 minutes, for 22 weeks. Go spend time with residents at a nursing home. Volunteer for Meals on Wheel. Visit people in jail. Go visit people in the hospital. Just go do something. 2018 ought to be the year we go do it. Jesus says when you've Gone and done these things unto the least of these. We've done it.